Welcome to the Social Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we met with Kenneth Shark Kinney, who is a highly accomplished creative marketer. And we had so much amazing information in this episode, everything from augmented reality, SEO, and there was just so much to di- digest. I don't know how he keeps up with all of this uh, stuff. Oh my but gosh. <laughs> anything we mentioned, he's like, oh yeah, I know something about that and where that's going. So, I mean, Facebook, email, chatbot. I mean, it was our, our minds were literally exploding after this conversation. And so we're splitting this up into two parts. This week is part one, which will be the first half of our conversation with Shark. And then next week, we'll put the second half of our conversation out there just so we don't overwhelm you guys too much. Um, but it was a very insightful, awesome conversation that we had. So let's get into this week's episode number 83, Trends That Are Shaping Marketing in 2019 and Beyond. Kenneth Shark Kinney is a highly accomplished and creative marketer, consultant, and speaker. He's led national campaigns working with brands including AT&T, Target, FedEx, Toyota, Panera, and Verizon. He's also the host of his own podcast called The Shark's Perspective, featuring experts and thought leaders in marketing. So Kenneth, we're so excited to have you today. Um, we're going to call you Shark the rest of this podcast, which I love that, that nickname. <laughs> and that So works. first off, tell me, how did you get that nickname Shark? So I have been swimming with sharks literally since I was a kid, and it is a complete fascination of mine since I was, you know, frightened in terror uh, in the water as a kid. I, I was not frightened, though. I, it just sort of was fascinating to me, and, I, and I've been enamored by them ever since. I've, I, you know, I'm the guy that watches and studies Shark Week, not just enjoys it, and it's it's been a passion of mine for years, and I've been lucky enough to travel all over the world and swim with a lot of different types of, of sharks and uh, became sort of that nickname as I was growing up and, and worked a lot and uh, actually did a lot of martial arts throughout my career and even fought a little bit as shark was my nickname. And so that's something that's <laughs> grown on and, and it's just sort of kept on and it became sort of a everyday nickname that, you know, even my own son calls me. So it's, it's just something that that I'm fascinated with. It's um, not necessarily, uh, you know, a brand choice other than, you know, tattoos I have of sharks on, on me, but it's it's just something that, that I really love. So when I'm watching like planet Earth and stuff like that, and there's these divers swimming around with the sharks, with the cameras and feeding them and stuff, that that's you. I'm not that good. <laughs> I will say this because there are, I don't get enough chances, but I have done that before. And Wow. I have the utmost respect for especially a lot of these freeform divers that do it. I, I've done it inside of a cage and, and out. I'm not I have a high level of respect for a shark. And I think that is this something that once you learn not to be afraid of a wild animal, you know, in, in the right environment, you have to respect them. It it can be the coolest thing in the world. And honestly being in the water, whether I'm Doing scuba or snorkeling is my happy place. It gives me a complete ability to get away from all things technology. I'm not checking Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or emails or phone. You know, it is, you're sort of at one with nature and there are always sharks out there. They, you may not see them, but they always see you. So, so no underwater selfies or anything like that with the sharks? No, no I've, I've done that before. <laughs> I've been asked to do that. As I, you know, sort of build out my own channel a little bit more again, especially with my podcast. But I have a hard time going down with, you know, a GoPro and standing there getting pictures of myself. That's just 
you know, mentally, I just sort of need an escape. And for a lot of people, um, you know, they enjoy taking selfies in, in those environments. I've just sort of been in the environment, in the moment, enjoy being one with nature for a change. And that's one of the few places you can do it and not feel too guilty about doing it. Sure. I like that swimming with sharks is your escape from stress. Like <laughs> that would be my yeah. ultimate stress. Like <laughs> it, it does, it does help you sort of, sort of think about, uh, what's mostly in front of you and keep focus in a different way. Yeah. Completely in the moment and everything. So, so how did you get into marketing and like podcasting and everything? So a hundred years ago, I was, <laughs> uh, I started in radio in a small town and did a lot of sports radio. And over the years, as I, as I sort of continue to do that on and off, I had fun with it, but I got into marketing, actually working in recruiting and recruiting in particular, I started to see how people were branding themselves. And then I completely became fascinated with, with web pages, web design, graphic design, all the things that once somebody goes to a site also sort of makes them convert and, you know, be part, be part of a sale or see how people were converting sort of the psychology behind why people buy through the web, if you will. So I'm a voracious reader and I taught myself everything I could on design conversion tactics, psychology, sales, marketing, you know, whether or not I did it well is another story, but I, I, I spent a lot of time as a voracious reader learning. And so I started to, you know, really focus in on that. And during that time, I also was working for a school group and I got back into doing TV and radio, live TV and radio. And I had done a lot of direct response TV, uh, trying to drive you know, enrollments and things like that with students through through higher ed and using it as a lead channel. But also as a as a side hustle, if you will, worked for some stations and had a TV show and radio show, and which is also what drove me away from Twitter because it was so time consuming doing that. But as I did that, I really uh, saw the power of of mass media and how how much more you could drive with. You know some simple tricks and triggers and things like that uh, to to drive traffic to different sites and, and it was, gave me the ability to focus a lot of time on on branding as well with using that as a lead generation tactic. So lead generation's always been a focus. It was just all the different tactics that went into it. And so uh, once I did that, I went really to focus have more heavily on the data behind each of those different strategies. And I went to work for a company called Axiom, which is one of the most you know well-known data companies historically. And I drove, for a few years, I drove all the uh, TV campaigns for them, um, for all the different publishers with national campaigns. And so I was lucky enough to, to really be the, the go-to person working with the publishers, the top agencies, the Fortune 200, and being the the catalyst to make a lot of these TV campaigns happen. That didn't make me any more important. What it did is it just gave me an incredibly awesome opportunity to learn as much as I could mm -hmm. uh, about how to drive growth. And then I did that. Went to work for um, for a lawn care company based out of Memphis, Tennessee, that was poised for some pretty decent growth. There are way too many people spend way too much time on their on their lawns. But I, <laughs> I worked for for True Green for a couple of years and helped helped them drive some record growth. 
for both those years, despite not having a couple of springs with, you know, the crazy weather we have. But now I'm back on the agency side. I've worked as, you know, on the agency side, I've worked on the consulting side, on the publisher side, and most importantly, on the advertiser side, where it gives you just a much better, you know, focus on your customer. Well, and I know you're also doing um, speaking events, too, because that's how we actually we got connected with you with this podcast is you were recently in Minneapolis for a conference that you were speaking yeah. at. And one of our social media team members who Isabella, who's been on this podcast before, saw you speak and was like, Missy, you have to talk to this guy. He was amazing. And so I reached out to you on LinkedIn and you're like, heck, yeah, yeah let's let's set it up. So thank you so much for. Yeah, connecting with me. <laughs> so, so I used to speak, especially when I was in higher ed, I used to speak, actually it was in, in technology, but I spoke across the country at different colleges and universities and I loved it. And then I got back into doing, trying to decide, am I going to do TV and radio? Cause I stay connected to that industry. You know, what am I going to do live TV and radio again? Am I going to take the show back to Sirius or am I going to do something as, you know, more informative and more fun with a podcast. And so podcast lets me do my own thing. I can do it, you know, in, in my PJs, I can do it at three in the morning or two in the afternoon. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the appeal of it, but honestly, I had, I had developed a lot of great connections with a lot of senior level marketers, CEOs, CMOs, a lot of the top influencers in the country who had known and worked with over the years. And, some of them I didn't and some of them I was just able to connect with because of other connections. And, you know, when you've developed a career's worth of, of experience, it allows you to have, you know, some good conversations with these, with these people that are just like you and me. They're, they're, you know, they're not Kings of the world by any stretch. They're just people who are really smart at, at marketing. And so luckily I've been able to, to have a lot of conversations with them, with, you know, people like, you know, I just had Rand Fishkin, Guy Kawasaki, Neil Patel, uh, Martin Lindstrom, Ann Hanley, Jay Bayer, Joe Polizzi, I, you know, Robert Rose. I name dropped them because they're kind of my my own superheroes, if you will, as well. Yeah. They're not. I'm not name dropping because I'm anything special, but I've just been able to surround myself with some really smart people as well. And so it's, you know, been been an interesting ride, but it's get, gotten me a lot more back into speaking now, and I'm traveling the the country and the world speaking at different engagements this year. Well, I think that goes perfectly into what I wanted to talk about today on this podcast is all about trends because with your background, you've worked with some huge brands. You obviously surround yourself with a lot of inspirational people in the marketing field. And so I wanted to get your take and I kind of have like a like a hit list of questions I want to ask you sure. on different topics that when I was looking through articles, you know, there's always like the top trends of 2019 or this is what's hot. This is what you should be paying attention to. And I want to get your feel because you have really a pulse on that every day and the trends that are happening and what your thoughts are on each of these. You got it. The first thing I want to dive into, because this is a big buzzword that's been around for uh, about over a year, year and a half now, um, influencer marketing. Where do you see it going? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, it will continue to grow. As a matter of fact, I just gave a presentation in Vegas back in March at LeedsCon and uh, on influencer marketing. I think what, you know a lot of different things are going to happen with influencer marketing over the next several years. I think there will be a great um, what am I trying to say? I think there'll be a, a a great leveling of what an influencer really is. Do you look at a 
Kendall Jenner, who has a gazillion followers, <laughs> who somebody looks at as more of a you know B level celebrity. I mean, she's an A level from 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 the money she makes, but she's she's not somebody that's a household name in the same way that somebody you know somebody on TV might be. So I think that shift will happen away from those kind of influencers more to micro influencers, people with real influence. And that's also going to change a lot with the way retail is changing. Retail is, you know, becoming more, you know, you see too many stores shutting down. So where do you go and attract those customers? It's not only the, you know, 18 year old Instagrammers of the world, no offense to the 18 year old Instagrammers, but <laughs> as we move more towards how to actually be authentic rather than just, spouting the word authentic again, taking a, somebody with an authentic following and those micro-influencers of, say, 10,000 or less can drive plenty of traffic back to your site for conversions. So I think we'll see more of a leveling off of the larger influencers who maybe don't have the actual influence to drive anything other than, say, engagement traffic. But if you're looking at sales, you're going to see a lot more of the advancement, I believe, in the micro influencers that really have the power to drive traffic to help influence your brand uh, and give it more of a purpose and as, as a why, why someone should buy or look at, you know, consider someone for a brand. I think another thing you're, you'll see a lot more advancement of, and I, I, I joked about the 18 year old Instagrammers, but you'll see a lot more of the, the baby boomers get served with more influencers. Traditionally, you see mostly, young-ish females only, you know, as the primary people. Yeah. I just posted a podcast today with a lady who was featured on NBC Nightly News who's written about her story. Uh, she's middle-aged, and she she's in her late 50s. She had breast cancer. That's what drew, her, you know, people to her, and now she has somewhere between fifty and 100,000 followers, and she's making a living as an, as an influencer serving what's basically an underserved community. She's not going to look at somebody like Kendall Jenner for how to make herself, you know, more astute in fashion and lifestyle and all those things. She's going to be looking at people that resonate more with her. So the more data we have behind it, the more people can, can do it just like they're doing with ads is they get an influencer that more represents these different audience segments that they have. And instead of just looking at somebody that's got a massive following as a one-stop, you know, shops all. So, so you, you think it's more of a, a niche kind of market. We're going to see more micro influencers come up and serve those underserved communities and not so much the, the big name people and celebrities. Do you think, the, do you think yeah. those people will go away from Instagram and, or will they continue no. to be quote unquote no. influencers? Just maybe not. I, They'll still continue to be influencers, and they'll still. I mean, look, Kendall Jenner is going to be completely fine. We talked about <laughs> so her, yeah. her, her, you know, the flub they had a few years ago with Estee Lauder when they brought her in to to bring in a, uh, you know, a, a product that was supposed to serve mature skin. She has no, she has no wrinkles at the ripe old age of <laughs> what is she, twenty one, twenty two? Yeah, That's she's, like, she's not going to service that market. But you know, everybody's mom and grandmom who buys Estee Lauder need somebody who's going to help them influence. So if you look at how retail's changing, especially, and, and I've worked with a lot of large retail brands, they're changing their retail experience completely. That also is in their advertising and with their influencers. Those influencers have to reflect the audience that buys their products. So it's not going away from, I think, 
audience, sorry, I think companies are just strictly looking at their audiences more closely, and then they're able to target the influencers to match that. And I come from a background that's got heavy targeting. So to me, that's something that just sings to my heart to hear somebody actually get an influencer that represents a segment more closely than what we typically do, which just have three or four personas. And then we, you know, shotgun approach everything to those three or four personas. And that's not really closely enough. You should have personas, but I'm also a fan of digging in a lot deeper than that. What about platform? I mean, most of the time when we're talking about influencers, we're talking about Instagram. But do you see influencers using other platforms or, um, you know, switching things up, trying, you know, Instagram TV is still Instagram or YouTube or even Facebook. What do you think about platform? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, the the big ones, I think we're going to, I do not want to hear about one more new platform that's about to drive me crazy, (laughs) but because I know we've got to be where our customers are and everything, but there are so many channels you could dive, you could dive a lot deeper into Instagram. I think Pinterest is a huge still has an amazing amount of opportunity in it. LinkedIn is just starting to do, you know, uh, live video. I mean, that's going to continue, especially in the business realm, where we're not all buying lifestyle type choices like you typically see on Instagram. You know, there. I don't know that Twitter has figured it out yet. Facebook still has, you know, a third of the world's population on it. They've made a lot of people mad. They've lost a lot of people, including me. I, I rarely spend time on Facebook. Okay. But if you want to get to 2 billion people, there's no faster. Yeah, then they also own Instagram. So they're going to figure out, they're going to figure this out whether we like it or not. It may, <laughs> True. It may drive everybody away, but they're, you know, YouTube still has amazing opportunity. They've, they've had some, Google's had some major headaches and problems trying to figure that out. But when you think of, of where you can, can, leverage this i'm not a i'm not as worried about channels as i am strategies i don't i don't think of twitter as a strategy or instagram as a strategy it's a channel to deliver a strategic message is probably really where you where you most need to think about at least in my my mind and this kind of goes into, and you might have the negative answer to this one, but <laughs> is Facebook peaking? Because as I read, was reading trending articles, that was a subject that got brought up. Facebook's at the bottom of a, you know, it's if, if you look at a roller coaster, it's it's going down right now. But yeah, you don't have a channel that large that won't still have an amazing reach. It's Maybe it's at the maturity stage now, but and they have messed up so many things, but there's so much money and data, rich data behind that. I mean, their Facebook gated groups are fantastic. You can still draw a lot of people. Look, if you're think of it, especially with what's coming up as well with, with politicians, where are politicians going to go to drive a lot of, you know, to, to drive a lot of engagement, a lot of that's going to be through those kind of channels. It really honestly just depends on if Facebook fits the product or service that you're selling and that's where your audience is. And that's where it's going to be incredibly important. If it's not, and you're looking to do, you know, some other variation with some other product that needs to be on TikTok, then no, it doesn't fit. 
<laughs> and Facebook groups, I feel like, have made a resurgence. We've been using that for some of our absolutely. clients. I'm a part of a ton of Facebook groups, and I absolutely yeah. love them. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like that's going to keep the momentum going over the next year? Absolutely, I do. I mean, Facebook's made Facebook Live especially, where you can address those gated groups. I mean, those are such rich, wonderful channels for where we are in the probation age today. I'm a big fan of them. And then chatbots, hot or not? <laughs> uh, I've never been a fan. Of, they, you know, I think the problem is that the brands behind a lot of the chatbots. I mean, the technology is great. I get robots. No problem with 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 that part of AI and machine learning as well. I'm not where it's going to drive engagement versus be annoying versus yeah. How it's going to make me get a sale is something that's different. I, to me, it's just, I love chatbots when I go to a site and I've seen it work well with a lot of companies that I've worked with to where when they pop up two or three, you know, questions that are the common questions that drive me, you know, offer me a listing. Other than that, they're just a complete annoyance and nuisance to me. And as a consumer and with, with a lot of brands I've seen, they aren't helping me get to where I need to go, you know, when I'm trying to solve a problem as a consumer, then they, they don't do a lot. And, you know, you can guide them the, you know, certain way. And, you know, this is kind of like Watson's technology because I've worked on, I think I was on their fifth campaign. I managed um, fifth or sixth campaign. But, you know, when you think of that sort of path that you try to drive pe people down a decision tree, mm -hmm. You've really got to help guide them to where you're helping them solve your problem, not theirs to where it becomes an, just an annoyance as a technology. So you think it's more of chatbot could be beneficial as a like the start of a conversation, but at some point pretty quickly in that process, you got to get a real person involved sort of thing? Absolutely. If I'm trying to solve a complex problem, then a chatbot will not allow me to, to really be able to do that, at least not now. Ask me in a couple of years when, you know, you know, programming is um, machine learning is advanced even that much more could be a totally different story. Sure. But we're not we're not at the level yet to where we completely feel like it's a seamless conversation that helps me solve a problem. And then the stats on video that have been coming out are insane. I mean, we produce a ton yeah. of video content here. Will video continue to grow? And where do you see that going? So video will continue to grow. I'm actually speaking on video and TV and I have, I have a, I'm going to accidentally say TV a lot just <laughs> because I'm a hundred years old, but, but I think of it as all video. Video will grow, I believe substantially, uh, not just in volume. I'm, I'm hoping that video grows with being able to help customers more, but with 5g and where that's going, the, just the things that I'm, I talk about a lot, the capability with being able to upload video, whether it's for advertising, for the, your, your how-tos, every you know, you're going to see so much more video that's richer, deeper, that is more complex. I believe because of of the capabilities that 5G will allow us to leverage because we will become more of publishers, whether you're an individual brand or you're a large corporate brand. Video is just contextually, video and audio, but video and specifically, video is one that will 
allow people to spend a lot more time developing more deeply contextual conversations and advertising and stories than you would get in text and other free forms like that. When you say complexity with video, are you talking like more high level produced kind of no, episodal no, content? What do you mean by complex? No, uh, more complex than what you're typically getting as an offering when you go to, you know, typically if you're going to look up something and do some research, you're going to see a blog you know, written up on here's how to how to solve a problem, for example. Yep. Video will allow you to actually show that, demonstrate it more complex than a blog post is probably a better way of describing it. More complex than a, you know, strictly an advertisement that, that shows. If you think of a picture, a picture, uh, here's where my location of my business is. You know, why just do do a picture when you can do video and i don't mean just necessarily you know you know 3d type panoramic type scenes where you see the the full service of the business but you want to get to know a business a local business for example you know a walk through with a video that can be produced on an iphone or a gopro and edited in 10 minutes and loaded to youtube in less than a minute because 5g's advanced that is a much more robust way of me wanting to look at your business to come in to run through that experience, it can really draw customers in, you know, to see that experience a lot more as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think you're, I think you're right with the five G and the uploading video, but also viewing video. It, it, you know, takes away any sort of technological, you know, buffering no. or loading time for these videos too. Yeah, you could, you still got a lot of people throughout the country, not just throughout the world, but throughout the country who, you know, we're we're blessed if we live in a big city to have you know, strong 4G signals, but 5G could ramp that up times 10. And and maybe as a result, it helps lift a lot of the other communities that have not enough, you know, strong enough internet signal to really be able to do that. But it's going to, video is going to rapidly change, especially TV will rapidly change when I don't need to have a TV connected to a wall. I'm not talking about traditional cord cutters. I'm talking about the majority of the people that are still out there that still have those connections to set-top boxes. Mm-hmm. Why are you going to need that when the capabilities to stream it are intense? I mean, look at you know, four, you know, know, 4K video, for example. 4K video, it's hard to find a lot of good content that's 4K, and it's also hard to, to stream it for a lot of people. Yep. This eliminates a lot of that. So. That's exciting to me as a video producer. I'm, I'm very excited about that video. <laughs> you, me as well. So one of the challenges with video and the thing that I think is going to be extremely, extremely important that a lot of marketers, especially digital marketers, don't take advantage of, though, truly is leveraging video. And I don't mean as a you know small five-second ad to, to grab engagements on a social channel. I mean, really taking some of the, the smart best practices out of the direct TV, direct response type folks, not direct TV, direct response <laughs> type TV. But when you take advantage of the direct response TV tactics that are informative, how-tos, you know, drive a business to, to get a sale, that's going to be really important to see how marketers who've traditionally looked at TV as some side note, you know, it's something that they didn't touch on 
they touch on social channels, website, everything else. You're going to be integrating video, and that's become going to become a bigger part of your brand strategy, if you will, is where not only where that ad or that visual ad shows up on whether it's a TV channel or you know YouTube, but how does that integrate into the rest of your marketing? That's going to be a really important mental shift that we that we need to make because it's it's a problem that I find so much with so many siloed efforts that you've got digital marketers handle digital marketing and they do some TV maybe through some programmatic buy off of you know where where they're giving I mean TV still represents nearly 50% of marketing spend I say TV and video that assimilation is going to really advance more quickly with 5g as well and we're going to need to converge those tactics a lot better than we typically have in the past because if they primarily just you know you look at tv and for the most part it's been looking looked at strictly as a branding tool that's going to change interesting yeah that's the possibilities are are quite large Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah it's huge So we're going to pause there for this week. And so tune in for next week when we continue the conversation and get into other things like blockchain, augmented reality, SEO, voice search trends, and much, much more. And make sure to subscribe to the Social Feed Podcast with Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player to get a brand new episode delivered to you right every Wednesday. Thanks so much. And we'll see you back next week for part two of this episode. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.